Suicide bombing, often coordinated in multiple attacks, is a Hezbollah trademark. Some counterterrorism experts believe that a man named Imad Mugnia, Hezbollah's operations chief, taught this concept of rolling destruction to Osama bin Laden in 1994. Sanctioned suicide, pioneered by Hezbollah, has made mass murder by explosive numbingly routine, not only in the Middle East, but around the world. Hezbollah is neither a remote curio of Lebanon nor an organization whose activity is limited to the Middle East. The Party of God has intertwined itself like a noxious vine around the vast Lebanese diaspora, a worldwide expatriate community of traders and merchants. Silently, deliberately, and all but invisibly, its cohorts have infiltrated the United States and its neighbors Canada and Latin America. Hezbollah is here. Now. Hezbollah cadres are known to have been planted in at least 14 cities in the United States, places as unlikely as Houston, Texas, Louisville, Kentucky, and Charlotte, North Carolina. Its American cells are led by dedicated, coldly calculating men who grew up on the same stark diet of fanatical hatred of the West that is fed daily to millions of children like young Mohammed Gandur. Carefully, Hezbollah's operatives have woven themselves into the American tapestry. These hidden agents of hatred have taken advantage of America's cultural openness and exploited our civil liberties to raise funds and acquire military equipment illegally for Hezbollah's war of terror against the West. They have engaged in military training and raised millions of illicit dollars through a ruthless catalog of criminal enterprises, including large-scale cigarette smuggling and tax evasion schemes, credit card fraud, drug running, gun trafficking, internet pornography, and an array of other criminal schemes. Most ominously, Hezbollah's minions lurk in sleeper cells, willing, able, and waiting only for the command of their masters in Beirut and Tehran to commit acts of violent terror on American soil. No one who understands Hezbollah's history doubts for a second its ability to inflict horrible damage should it choose to do so. According to FBI officials, serious credence was given to fears of a Hezbollah plot to assassinate President Clinton's national security advisor, Anthony Lake. The threat is not theoretical. Hezbollah's dark talents have been gruesomely demonstrated in the Western Hemisphere by sophisticated bombing attacks in Argentina. Hezbollah's sleeper cells, constituted much like those in the United States, are known to exist in an area of South America known as the tri-border region of Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay. These cells cooperated with the Iranian Secret Service to carry out two horrific signature bombings in Argentina. On March 17, 1992, the Israeli embassy in Buenos Aires was struck by a suicide bomber, killing 29. And on July 18, 1994, another powerful bomb destroyed the main building of the Argentine Israelite Mutual Aid Association, or AMIA. That bomb killed 86 and wounded 300, the greatest loss of Jewish life in a terrorist incident outside Israel since the Second World War. Just as distant thunder warns of the fury of a coming storm, the presence of these Hezbollah cells in America warns of a frightening potential from a body of killers said by one American intelligence expert to make Osama bin Laden's al-Qaeda 
looked like a bunch of kindergartners. Fortunately, a small band of extremely talented men and women from the ranks of local and federal law enforcement, together with a team of equally talented prosecutors, have dedicated much of their lives to rooting out Hezbollah's weeds in America. The almost serendipitous coming together of a handful of these able men and women exposed and successfully prosecuted one major Hezbollah cell in the most unlikely of places, Charlotte, North Carolina. They continue working to unravel a tangle of other cells rooted deeply in other unsuspecting American communities. This is the story of Hezbollah's invasion of America and of the thin line of defense upon which American lives depend. It describes in microcosm virtually all of the issues raised by and investigated by the 9-11 Commission, with one major difference. These extraordinary men and women overcame the obstacles that blinded America to the coming attack by Al-Qaeda and succeeded in exposing Hezbollah's operations. But one part of the story cannot be told because it remains unknown. And that is, whether even more hidden layers of Hezbollah's dark enterprise lie undetected, coiled to strike in America. The Burj al-Barajne neighborhood lies about 10 miles to the southeast of downtown Beirut, not far from the headquarters of Hezbollah. What strikes many visitors first is the pervasive stench from the vast heap of an open garbage dump at the entrance of an eponymous refugee camp for Palestinians. The Burj al-Barajne refugee camp, established after the creation of Israel and the partition of Palestine in 1947-48, and the surrounding neighborhoods are grindingly poor warrens, labyrinths of narrow paths barely deserving to be called alleys, rank with open sewers and the acrid smell of stale urine, and littered with garbage. The encamped Palestinians have been virtually ignored by Arab governments for more than 50 years, with the exception of the occasional trotting out of refugee misery for purposes of international incitement. Their children are regularly rallied to dance and cheer upon news of the latest suicide bombing in Israel. The other residents of Burj al-Barajne, packed cheek by jowl with the Palestinians, are poor Shiite Muslims, emigres from Lebanon's rural south. The Shiites are a minority Muslim denomination that broke off from the majority Sunni faithful in the 7th century, persecuted ever since as a heretical sect. Shiites, however, are the majority in Iran. In Lebanon, most Shiites were farmers, living for centuries in numbing medieval rural servitude in the south. Desperately poor, badly organized, and long-suffering under the dominant Sunnis, Islam's majority wing. The Shiites in Lebanon were traditionally friendly with Israel, Lebanon's southern neighbor. During the 1970s, some Shiites even fought alongside Israeli soldiers against the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, as members of the Israeli-backed South Lebanon Army. The Shiites began immigrating to the city's suburbs in the 1970s, under pressure from the successive invasions of Yasser Arafat's PLO and an Israeli army determined in 1982 to eradicate the PLO after suffering a decade of cross-border terrorist raids and rocket attacks mounted by the PLO from Lebanon. The Israelis' heavy-handed treatment of the Shiites played into the agenda of Israel's radical Islamic foes. The occupation of the South 
soon destroyed the earlier amicable relations and turned Lebanon's Shiites into implacable enemies. Israeli officers and soldiers who once motored leisurely home through South Lebanon on weekend passes found themselves the targets of Shiite ambushes and suicide attacks, like that committed by Salah Gandur and enshrined by his son. Like many such centers of rural to urban emigration in less developed parts of the world, Burj al-Barajne became a hellhole of futility, its residents trapped in endless poverty, the victims of and participants in rolling waves of violence, culminating in the Hezbollah terror machine controlling the area. Mohammed Youssef Hamoud came kicking and screaming into the pitiless world of Burj al-Barajne on September 25, 1973. The Hamoud family was devoutly religious, the hand of centuries of Islam and Shiite doctrinal history touched the infant Muhammad at his birth. The tumult of the larger Middle East conflict marked every milestone in Muhammad's young life. On October 6, 1973, scarcely two weeks after his birth, Syria and Egypt struck Israel in a surprise attack on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish religious calendar. Only emergency aid from the United States saved Israel from a military setback that could have threatened the Jewish state's existence. Discussion of the war, its impact, and America's role burned hotly through Burj al-Barajne, as it did everywhere on the Arab street. In the United States, however, ordinary Americans were more focused on relief over the end of the Vietnam War and frustration over the impact of an oil embargo that the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, imposed on the West in retaliation for aid to Israel. The subtleties of the longer-term implications of the Arab...